All right. So, you know, we have in our lives expectations. We have expectations of different groups of people. For example, your children, you have a different set of expectations, right? You, you expect them to be nice and polite and such like that, but you don't expect them at the age of one or two years old to, to dress themselves. You don't expect them to do your taxes for you. You don't expect them uh, to ride a bike. You don't expect them to drive a car. You don't expect them to, to do a lot, a lot of things, right? And you do expect and you give for a lot of things, like, for example, you know, even though they're uh, toilet trained uh, at some point, you know, they still may uh, have an unfortunate uh, accident in the pants department uh, when they're three and a half, four years old even. And you have to bring a change of clothes just for that very anticipation, right? And as you get older, of course, your expectations of your children and for that matter for yourself change. You know, when they're six years old, you expect them to do certain things as a six-year-old would do, and the mistakes of a six-year-old, and the mistakes of a 12-year-old, and the mistakes of a 15-year-old, and such like that. Well, that's, that's commensurate with her age. You know, you, you talk about a 13-year-old girl, for example, and you, you see in your mind's eye, you know, some a girl with raging hormones, and she's all feisty, and she has tremendous tantrums, and she's very moody. That's kind of what you expect out of a 13 or 14-year-old uh, girl. And likewise, a 13 or 14-year-old boy, you expect him to be you know, wild and rambunctious and he doesn't take care of his, his hygiene, his hair is all over the place, right? That's what you expect. And as they get older, of course, you expect them to have more responsibility. Okay, why do I bring this up? Because I'm noticing the way that we treat our friends on the left is very similar to the way we expect standards from a three or four-year-old child. That's it. And, and so when they do these very bizarre things, they get a pass, not just because they're liberals, but because they're liberals and uh, in, in the way they think. It's, it's, they have so low standards that it's all right. And I, I, I'm concerned about this, only, and this is why I bring it up, because we see it very, all, all the time. When the Antifa movement, for example, very good example, right? Where they go crazy. They tear down statues. They, they, they throw things, at pies in people's faces. They shout you down. That's acceptable somehow. Because they set fires. Then they say, oh, that's right. Don't forget the fires. That's right. Uh, they, they, they have these demonstrations, these wild things. They wear pussy hats, right, at the marches. They, they say the craziest things. They swear beyond belief. They litter everywhere. And then when we point it out as conservatives, they say, well, you know, this is, this is perfectly legitimate. It's as if they're saying, well, we're three-year-olds. What do you expect? Right? What's the difference? Because I don't see any. How about you? I, I, I'm waiting for the day that the Democrats hold themselves to, their, to a standard that is similar to a standard of the Republicans. At least similar to the standard that they hold of the Republicans. When Ronald Reagan first became president, in fact, when he was campaigning for president, I remember, even though I was a Democrat at the time, I thought once he became president, I thought, you know, maybe this is okay. You know, the grown-ups are in charge now. I, I, I intuitively, instinctively understood that a mature person was now operating the White House. And I liked it. I felt we were in good hands. And... Uh, Life would be better this way. And even, even though I knew that I was still a Democrat and such like that, there was a part of me that really liked it. Do you remember Lord of the Flies, the, the book, and, the, and there was a movie, of course? There's this palpable scene at the very end. I'm not giving, a, giving it away, per se. It's just eventually an adult comes on the beach, and everyone, some, the whole a mood of the island changes. These boys who had descended into na nativism and killing each other, for, for that matter, uh, suddenly now we're dealing with authority once again, and things were back to where they should be. And that's the way I feel whenever Republicans take over the, the White House. I feel like, oh, okay, all right. Like the adults have finally come back to the island of Lord of the Flies, and everything's going to start getting back to normal. You know, we, we may have to clean up some of the bodies <laughs> that these people have left behind. But what a mess, right? I mean, what a mess they, they've achieved, these Democrats, with uh, the, the eight years of Obama and Hillary Clinton, of course. And uh, th now we are cleaning it up.
we're, we're understanding now that they're like, like children who are three or four years old who, who have been hiding all sorts of horrible things. Um, we are now having to uncover and undo so much of the madness that's happened. Well, what do you think? I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I hope we get back to the standards, but right now I feel like we're, comp- we're trying to clean up so much of what the Democrats have wrought and how much they've, they've left behind, uh, including the Russian collusion thing. That's a childish thing when you think about it, right? The Russian collusion investigation was, was truly childish uh, to think that they, they couldn't get caught on that. that I mean, don't, doesn't, that, doesn't that make you think of a child, right? They, they broke a lamp, like the classic thing, right? They break a lamp. They're the only ones around, <laughs> right? You don't even have a dog <laughs> that you can blame it on. And then they say, I didn't do it. You know, uh, a vulture came in or no, better yet, a dragon came out of the sky and knocked down this lamp. You would say, Johnny, now what did we talk about lying before, remember? Okay. No, seriously, a dragon did this, right? And, and that's the way it is with the whole Russian collusion thing, wasn't it? And everything else that they, they present, the, the way they view um, capitalism itself, the way they view God, the way they view Israel, the way, the way they're so concerned about how the other nations view us, the way they dealt with ISIS. No, I'm sorry, I should have called it ISIL, Right? Uh, the way we deal with uh, Great Britain, the way we deal with uh, uh, Muslim I- immigration. The well, way Guantanamo. We, Guantanamo is a great example, yeah. All these things that we just thought, you know, it was so childish the way that you handled it. Yeah, but your main thrust was how in every one of these scandals in recent memory, the excuse is the same. With IRS, I lost the documents. With Benghazi, we lost the documents. With, with Hillary Clinton's email server, we can't find the server. We, we lost the documents. Then they, it turns out they're breaking the documents to try to prevent them from being found. But, right. you know... <clears throat> the, the latest thing that she said was about the mishandling of, uh, of her situation with... Um, uh, with not with with Benghazi, but also with this sexual harasser that she had on her campaign, she didn't fire him. This guy was a pretty bad apple, and she said, "Well, I mishandled that," but as if that's somehow a, a good excuse. But where where have we heard that word mishandled before? Yeah, and, and right? mishandled is what they call it, right? Yeah. It's the euphemism that covers up the the, the criminal negligence. That right. they engage in. Right. It, you know. Uh, yeah, it's like an arsonist who says, because mishandling means literally with your hand, you are, you are, mis, you are doing something that's a misstep. Right. right? Like, like the lamp thing. I mishandled the lamp. It broke. It broke, right. But daddy, I'm going to tell you, the dragon came out yeah. of the sky. That's right. But, but it's like an arsonist who says that he mishandled the, the, the burning of the match and mishandled it by putting it down on the ground and setting it aflame with some kerosene. I mishandled the I mishandled it. I right. mishandled the fire stick. <laughs> I mishandled the victims. I mishandled the, right. the structure. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's, but, but she has used that phrase so often that you begin to wonder, okay, well, and she expects people to accept that as a good excuse. And I, and I would. If she were three years old. Well, Democrats do seem to accept it. We yeah. have we have friends who are, um, you know, like you, attorneys, smart ones. Yeah. And they accept anything that Hillary Clinton says as far as her excuses. Oh, it's just a mishandled document. Would you accept that out of a, an opposing counsel? Would you accept that out of someone you're suing? You know, no. we say to this person, just like you, of course not. Yeah. So why, if you're not going to accept that in your personal life, why if you, you showed up in front of Judge Judy without a receipt, you'd expect to be smacked down? Is this okay for the smartest, most powerful woman in the land running for the most powerful office in the land? Right. Well, we're seeing the evisceration of standards at the end of the day, right? This is another nuance of the evisceration of standards. And if, if you believe, as I do, that standards are important, then... Ask yourself, as a, if you're a, left, a liberal, a lefty, a Democrat, whatever you consider yourself, what standards are important to you? I mean, you and I can talk about what standards are important to us, right? We, the standard of truth. You know, truth is very important to us. Um, uh, family is very important. America as a country, as an understanding history. Well, un- right to unlimited abortion is important to them, right? <laughs> Apparently. You know? No, but, but, but that's not a standard. That's the evisceration of a standard. We know it's not a standard, but they cite that as their right. standards, right? It's Isn't that what they say is their standard? A woman's right to choose. Uh, that's not a standard. That's not. I, I know twenty weeks versus twenty-one no, weeks. No, no, is no, a no, no, no. You're not. You're not. You're not coming. With, you're not understanding. These are things that they want, but that's 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 different than a standard. 
okay, what is the standard that they believe that should meet up, not a uh, standard that they should go meet down, okay, meaning like to an evisceration of a standard. Because everything, every platform of the Democrats is, is in some way an evisceration of a standard. Well, well, that's my point. There is none. The one they repeat over and over again as a trope is the women's right to choose. It's a, you know, the litmus test on abortion. Uh, here's another way of putting it. What do you expect of yourself? What do you expect of your own party and yourself? Oh, uh, Is there anything? Obviously nothing. I mean, right. you saw the behavior at the State of the Union address by the Democrats. Those are clearly people who are incapable of controlling themselves and have no desire to. Right. They, they're incapable of forget looking polite with things they disagree with. Right. They're incapable of plotting things they do agree with if it's said by someone they don't like. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. If Obama had announced black unemployment, assuming he wasn't lying, right. it was at its lowest point in whatever period of time, yeah. they would have you know, stood and cheered. But because a certain guy with funny colored hair said it in a way that they didn't like with a tone they didn't appreciate. Right. It became something to stare straight forward with a stomach. Well, it's like one of the, uh, the Democrats' uh, senators, I think, Mancine from West Virginia. Is, is that Mansion? Mansion from yeah. West Virginia. So there was something that Trump had said, and I forget now which, what he said. Yeah, it was about coal, I think. Okay, so, yeah. so he gets up, and he's all excited about it because, you know, he <laughs> believes in it. He's, he's a reasonably, you know, I guess he's a blue Democrat, blue dog Democrat. And he, he gets up. He's beginning to get up to, to do the clap. And he looks around and he sees all his Democrats sit, still sitting down. And somebody must have been giving him a, a slight shake, you know, shake of the head. And he, he, like a good boy, he sits down. <laughs> Very like, slowly. Oh, man, that yeah. was really funny. All right, anyway, um, he, here's another. But, but this, it's such an important new point you make because, yeah. no, they don't have standards. And the excuses aren't even creative. It's the same excuse now going on since, I mean, let's just make this kind of simple, since basically 2010 with the IRS scandal. Yeah. Lois Leonard, where are your emails? I can't find them. Right. You know, well, and, 2012, and what, Benghazi. And what do you expect? And, and it's so funny, like when, when there's a either sex harassment or an affair that a Republican engages in, the, the press is all over it, right? And when it's, you know, barring certain exceptions like Anthony Weiner, who was just so crazy and so out there that they had to dump him. But when it's a regular good old affair by the Democrat, it's no big deal. Why? Because, well, you shouldn't expect that much from the Democrats, right? They literally say, you, are, you guys are worse because you hold up yourselves to the standard and you don't meet it. And then we say, well, what about you guys? Well, we don't have that standard. Yeah, and look Therefore, it doesn't matter. Like, but that, 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 that emphasizes our point, that there are no standards right, that they look, even set up, that they try to even meet. Yeah, and let's look at the conflation of these two roads in one. Judge Roy Moore, right? Yep. We now know there was obviously nothing. 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 Yep. Right? But somehow these Democrats were able not to dig up just emails, but a yearbook through it's a dusty attic. Right. And I mean, they, I know they keep losing emails, and this is a lot off subject, but they seem to find ballots really easily in different very, places very, whenever very they creative. need one, right? But mm -hmm. they find all the documentation that they possibly need on Roy Moore, okay? Or they right. fabricate it, but they can't find an email. Then with Roy Moore, there is no no nothing there. Right. They fabricate whatever evidence they need. They convince everyone that he did something. They then say, well, he cast a drop out because he has standards. But Democrats who do terrible things, oh, that's nothing. He's just... Bob just does what Bob does. Right. And isn't it also funny you mentioned Wiener because with Wiener, there's a... It's so funny how this works. Wiener does what Wiener does. And then, as it turns out, there's a whole bunch of secret emails on Wiener's computer, and the FBI covered those up, too. Yeah. Well, because they have no standards at the end of the day. I mean, standards only apply to conservatives because those crazy conservatives, they, they've chosen to, uh, to, to what, what's the expression, uh, plant their flag and on that battlefield, on that, that certain terrain. And, uh, you know, so we get to attack them so on that terrain, the standards like, terrain, if you will. So if you act like an adult, <clears throat> right. as Republicans and conservatives do— and you fail at adulting, as all <laughs> adulting. of us do. Adulting. Not adultering, but adulting. Adulting. Yes, I like it. You know, a, Good. a verb. You know, the, the, adult, the act like, of adulting. Like it's a new meme, right? right. Adulting. Uh, you're then blamed for even attempting to adult. Yes. Right? 
But if you make no attempt to adult and you don't adult, then right. what's the harm? They didn't intend on adulting right. anyway. Right. Well, everything that they do, and, and you know, this is dovetailing together with the evisceration of standards, right? Which is, I mean, one of the standards is uh, the difference between men and women, right? They, they just hate that standard. And so we have this notion that it's okay for a man to go into a woman's locker room or bathroom. It's, uh, they, they hate the differences between uh, adult and child, for that matter. They want adults uh, to act like children and, you know, to expose themselves uh, and act out, I should say, um, as, as children. And they expect children... Uh, well, to be children at the same time. So everyone, it's just one big melting pot of immaturity. Yeah, doesn't this, though, completely explain the success of Donald Trump not falling into the traps of other Republicans by trying to live up to something that's impossible? Right. Uh, you, know, right. Was, you know, here's Jeb Bush. Well, we have to act this way. Here's Mitt Romney. Mr. Perfect. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, drinks, drinks milk as an after-dinner drink at happy hour. Right. 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 2%. Maybe skim, never whole milk, right? That's so true. And here's Trump. He's had affairs. He left his wife for a younger woman. He's been a wild child at times. He's been a fast lane guy. He's been a socialite. Clearly lived a life where he had no intention of being president, (laughs) right? right, This was not his long-term plan. Right. And as a result, he's immune. And it worked politically. It allowed him to be bold. Yeah. And I'm not saying – and by the way, dude does have standards because he has standards on the big stuff, right and wrong, winning and losing, America. You know, we're all flawed. George Washington was a horribly flawed guy. Just ask any child he was around. He hated kids. Yeah. From what I understand. Yep. A lot of people hate being around kids. Have you ever met kids? Right. But you know what? He was a great president. Kids, you say. Uh, that's true. You know, uh, look, uh, you know who was uh, a, a, f- a fantastic uh, personage, and he's one of the most important personalities of the, not just the 20th century, but of all time, Albert Einstein. Okay? Horrible father. By the way, horrible husband, too. Uh, he had an affair as well and everything else. I'm not saying, I, you know, I actually judge Albert Einstein because I, I despise him for that reason. But at the same time, he's a brilliant mind. You can't you can't get around that fact. He's just truly brilliant. He was. Um, and I think he made his peace later on. But that's, that, that's the way it works. Things yeah, are the different. The laws of physics <clears throat> and the work you do on mathematics has nothing to do nothing with, to do with each other. Nothing to do with each other. That's up there. Well, and Dennis Prager brings this up constantly, that one of the most pristine, pure people, uh, presidents that we've ever had from a standpoint of adultery and uh, keeping it clean uh, in every other respect was Jimmy Carter. And arguably the second worst president because there's no argument that Obama was the worst president, right? And Obama himself, you know, to the extent that you believe that uh, this was a regular heterosexual, <laughs> heterosexual yeah. uh, marriage between two <laughs> consenting adults. Heterosexual adults. Non-gender, non-conforming adults. To the extent you believe that, then, which is fine to believe on paper. Uh, and anyway, I'm kidding Suckers. around. <laughs> kidding around, my friends. Kidding around. All right, so... So that that here's a a regular old relationship, right, in the White House, and and you have, you know, one of the worst presidents ever, right? No no accusations, at least, of any affairs, no missteps in that department, in in the social department whatsoever. But he's clearly, to my mind, the worst president. I don't think there's any argument about this from a conservative point of view that he was the worst liberal president we've ever had. Yeah, and okay? the difference between him and Carter, because, you know, you could make arguments that they're similar in a lot of ways. I don't believe Carter intended to cause the harm he caused. Right. With Obama, it's obvious he did. Right. Now, he, 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 uh, Carter was simply following his agenda that he thought would be wonderful for the country and, uh, of course, ended up with the road to hell being paved with, you know, good intentions, right? That's, right. that's emblematic of Jimmy Carter. Uh, with 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 Obama, he was like, "Which way to hell? I'm I'm going there. I'm taking. <laughs> he I'm was taking all fully you with me. Right. Yes. So he was no fool. Let's put it that way, because he knew exactly what he That's wanted. That's what to made do. him so dangerous. Is he wasn't an idiot. Right. He wasn't. Okay. He, he was an imbecile for believing what he believed, but he fully, you know. And it's such a a wonderful thing. Uh, that, that analogy you started with about the the uh, toddlers or the the temper tantrums from you know people in their terrible twos, terrible threes, terrible fours is 
you know, if you say to um, a, a temper tantrum engulfed child, okay, I'll give you what you want. Right. Just let's work, work this out here. Right. Their first reaction is, no! <laughs> right? Yeah. And they, they want to engage in mutually assured destruction for the sake of their temper tantrum and their hatred and their anger that they've become completely engulfed by. You've only given them the sense that they have more power than they actually do. Well, and maybe <clears> you <throat> I'm not talking, about, given them I'm the not power. talking about how you negotiate or deal with an enemy in, in this case. I'm just making a point that the way Obama was brought up to have the central temper tantrum against America, there was no negotiating with him, obviously. And... You know, the, any attempt to appease them only made them hate and despise the the opposition party and the people with American values more. But um, you know, was, this was all clearly intentional. And we've talked about in your podcast over and over again how his batting average was perfect. No one either strikes out every time in in baseball or hits a home run every time in baseball. But somehow he was able to make the worst decision for America every, every time out time. on issues large to small. Yeah, but but. I agree with you, but let's let's stick to the standards issue because this is what the podcast is about. After all, uh, we want to, you know the standards thing is fascinating to me because not just you know what did George Bush uh, call it George W. He called it the soft bigotry of lowered expectations, right? But that's that's what we we have when it comes to the Democrats. We have our own soft bigotry about the Democrats, not about blacks or Hispanics or anybody else, but about the Democrats, right? We, you know, when they do these crazy things, we think to ourselves, well, that's what Democrats do. What do you expect? Right? That's the essence of what this podcast yeah, politi- is all about. Politics ain't beanbag. They're just Democrats. Yes. Oh, they just lost Democrat, uh, right. documents. They're Democrats. And, and what I love about it is when, they, when they're caught red-handed, they say, well, you know, on both sides there are issues and that's such right. like that. Well, no, yeah. there Everyone are not. Everyone does it. Right. That's like saying, you know, the three-year-old kid who's just made in his pants uh, saying, well, mommy and daddy, you do the same thing, right? No, we actually don't, right? And they not- expect to treat you as if you are one of the same. And you're not. You, no, you call me daddy, and I call you Johnny. You get it? You don't call me Barack. I don't call you Ari, right? That's, that's the way it's done, okay? And that's, uh, but they, they expect that we have this sort of, a, but, but our own way that we, we conservatives, treat Democrats, reflects our own soft bigotry. We should hold them to a higher standard, and, but, but we don't. We, we need to say, this is outrageous, whether it's the Antifa movement or the memo that's about to be released from the FBI or, or what the FBI is doing, generally speaking, or what Hillary Clinton has done or what Obama has done. And we need to say that you have not met any of the standards that we hold dear as Americans. Yeah, so you're basically saying, let me get this straight, that if we held them to the standards of account that we would be held to or expect of ourselves. And right. let's just take one example. Mm-hmm. The prosecution of Hillary Clinton. Right. Right? She gets prosecuted, goes to jail, or as at least on a very uncomfortable trial. I think you're saying what I would agree with is that alone, holding her her as an individual to that higher standard would send a message to all others that you will be held to this standard too and they would be less likely to engage in the behaviors they engage in. The same way if you held a child to account for an irrational temper tantrum and did not give in to them and did not give them their candy for their screams, they would have to learn to do something else to acquire their candy. Well, that's exactly right. You have to... uh... Uh, you have to deal, you have to understand first of all that you're dealing with people who do not understand what standards mean, or they just don't care about standards. They claim to understand. I mean, they they claim to say, "Oh yeah, we have standards," but then you ask you actually ask them what their standards are, and they really don't have that sense. They wonder. I, I mean, I, they say, "What are you talking about?" And I say, "Well, standards like this notion that being truthful is very important, and the 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 honesty factor, of course, uh, that." Uh, we have a certain standard of cleanliness, that we have a certain standard of the decorum in the way we deal with each other, the pleases and the thank yous, the differences uh, in the way you handle, uh, you, you approach women versus the way you approach men, um, the way we have a standard uh, for teachers and, the, and that we respect our elders and things like this, that we don't commit adultery, um, that uh, despite our best of intentions, we try to avoid pornography and uh, that we... Um, that we don't just willy-nilly uh, engage in our most 
um, trivial and most banal um, impulses and instincts. Things like that. Did you believe that that is important? Do you believe there's a certain standard of excellence, for example, in business and otherwise? Do you feel that an employee, in order for, for him or her to receive a bonus uh, or to otherwise be promoted, that they need to perform a certain level of, of expectation as opposed to just being entitled to a $15 an hour wage? W what are your standards? And they will look at you blankly. You know, people often say crickets will be chirping, but I, I'm... I'm literally saying that they will look at you blankly. It's, it's almost as if, as if it's the first time they consider that as an issue. What about when they um, talk about how they hold corporations to standards through regulation? You know, like, um, um, I, I remember, I'm not taking their side other than just in the, for the sake of No, you of can argument. take their side. It's fine. Okay, well, I mean, it's hard. So <laughs> please help me. <laughs> right, right. I, I might need your assistance. Uh, I mean, I'm good. I just don't know if I'm that good. But, you know, when they talk about uh, we believe in um, clean air, clean water, clean earth or something like that. Or yeah, that's what they'll say. We expect uh, corporations to be good corporate citizens. Or Yeah, but that's different than the standards that I, I'm asking about individuals. Right? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's hold a great distinction. You're talking about moral standards. Yeah. They, you know, when I'm using their words here, are only talking about some specific standard of conduct related to a very narrow area. Uh, we don't want oil companies to have ships that leak oil into the ocean. <laughs> I don't think the oil company wants to leak oil either. Right. They it's, spend a lot of money extracting it. Th those are not standards. Those are laws and regulations in order to maintain certain industri industrial standards, for sure. But that's not the kind of standards that you're, we're talking about. About because, uh, but women, hold, hold, 75 cents an hour, that's the same thing, right? Versus you need 75% versus you know, of what a man makes. Yeah, what a man makes. Remember that? Th that's not a standard. That's not... That's that's not at all the standards that I'm talking about. These are, see, the funny thing is, if you maintain the standards that I'm talking about, which are individually based, uh, <clears throat> in terms of being fair, being honest, uh, you know, putting in your hard work every day and such like that, you will ultimately not need those other regulations that you proclaim to to want. That's the I wouldn't say irony, but it's just the the, the interesting contradiction. They they don't. They don't understand that uh, all the things that they claim to want would actually be achieved if they only focused on their own individual standards. If you look at uh, women as, as uh, uh, people that, that there's no distinction between men and women, for example, well then, yeah, surprise, surprise, the men will look at, uh, at a woman as a, as a piece of meat, as they say, uh, especially when the woman herself treats herself like a piece of meat, right? with all the leggings and everything else we talked about. We saw this uh, uh, juxtaposition of Miley Cyrus. Is that her name, Miley Cyrus? Oh, the singer, yeah. Yeah, the singer. She used to be Hannah Montana, right? Right. Okay, so Miley Cyrus... Until she became twerka-worka. Yeah, that's right. So she, yeah, so the twerking thing that she did on stage one time, which was just so obscene and so disrespectful to herself and to women generally speaking. And to our eyeballs. Right. <laughs> right. No, she's a pretty girl, and there's no doubt about it, but it's just... It's just unbecoming of her, especially a woman who, who professes to want and demand respect from men. Right. And so you see her in the recent uh, uh, Grammy Awards, I think it was, where she's wearing these this certain lapel to, to show solidarity with other women and that women des demand respect. And then there's a juxtaposition of one of her concerts where she's dressed very scantily. Uh, you can see most of her butt. And in front, what is she wearing? That's right, you guessed it. While she's singing, she's wearing a huge dildo. Uh, while while she's singing I was the entire say song, an adult um, massage device. <laughs> yeah, but it's but a it's a dildo. Yes, I mean, yes, exactly. it couldn't be. And, and not only that, but it's not just it it it, it, it you know looks lifelike, right? So uh, it's not just some like you know pink uh, you know phallus symbol. It's it's the real deal, so to speak. It's right? all the parts. It's all the parts. Yeah. It, if 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 it's if it were if it were more grainy and you didn't see anything else, uh, you know, attached to to it, you would think that you might actually be looking at a real male penis, and and she's singing along with this, and she she demands respect. You understand, right? She doesn't respect herself, but she demands respect from you. So. This is this is the standards that I'm talking about. Okay. If you want to be treated like a lady, then act like a lady. Okay? If you want to be treated, for that matter, like a gentleman, then act like a gentleman. If you want to be treated like an adult, then act like an adult. Okay? If you want to be treated like uh, somebody that, that should get your vote, well, then act like somebody who should get your vote. 
the, the, this is pretty basic stuff, right? We, we vote for people based upon uh, their standards, based upon their values, and based upon their sense of, hopefully, of God and leadership and those things. When I voted for Donald Trump, I voted for him uh, because, you know, notwithstanding the, the things that he said about John McCain and many other people, let's be fair, uh, and his tweets and such, but I voted for him because I knew that this man uh, had certain basic standards that he demanded of his employees, of his own business, and of himself, and that he was going to apply that in the, the mission of being a president. And I think he's done that so far. We're talking about a year out plus uh, since his inauguration. And I think, you know, good for, as we speak today, that he has really achieved that mission. That mission. He's done some incredible things. And he's, uh, he's, he's made those expectations very clear. That's why I think he's a good president. He is achieving things in the meantime, of course, which is not surprising. But ultimately, because he held... The, the, his administration to a certain standard. By the way, it's the same thing that Ronald Reagan did. When Ronald Reagan went into, into office, uh, everyone dressed, and, and by the, for that matter, George W. Bush, everyone went back to dressing with uh, suits and ties for the men and appropriate attire for the women as well. And I think you're setting a tone. You set the tone by way of how you dress, uh, whether you're punctual uh, at work, and frankly, whether you do good work product. Are, are you discerning? Are you, do you have expectations of yourself? And I just, I don't see that in the Democratic Party. I, I see Maxine Waters with her craziness. Uh, I, I, you know, you, you'll name a whole bunch of others as well. But I see Anthony Weiner. Uh, I see, um, what's his name? The, the, not just congressman, but... Um, um, help Al, me out here. Al Franken. Al, of course. Oh, thank you. That's who I was thinking about. Al Franken, this despicable man, right? I see um, the guy, the former mayor of uh, Washington, D.C., Barry something. Marion Barry. Yeah, snorting cocaine. And it's like these guys get such passes. It's, it's, it's obscene. Now, they'll point to a couple of Republicans here and there, but I don't think you'll get anyone uh, of the likes of Marion Barry or Al Franken. Or uh, Anthony Weiner, any of those guys. Well, and, and I think podcasts are always most interesting when people disagree. So we disagree on something vehemently, and it might be an interesting thing to discuss. I my favorite things about Trump, even when I had problems with him during the primaries, my favorite things about him was how he treated John McCain, how he treated Jeb Bush, and how he tweets. Why are his tweets a problem? How is honesty and direct communication with the people in, in the tone and language we want to hear about these elected officials, many of whom are scumbags? Buckets, why is that a problem? Why do we always have to defend ourselves by saying, well, I love what Donald Trump's doing, but I don't like his tweets? How, oh, who, oh, how, oh. Could, how could a conservative have any problem with his tweets? Well, here's, here's just the problem. I don't disagree with you. You're wrong in your assumption that we would disagree. I'm simply saying... That's what they'll point to, right? That's their thing about Donald Trump. Oh, so you're cool with it. I'm cool with it. No, I, I like it, frankly. I think it's brilliant. I think his tweeting uh, is a direct communication with the people, like you said. And what they're not saying is that they're only focusing on the one out of 20 that he knows is very uh, scandalous, shall we say, or d designed to provoke. I, I got that. Provocative. Uh, but the 19 out of the 20, he's actually getting out a very serious message, uh, and people are reading those too. They have to, you know, to they have to read the 19 to get to that 20th nugget. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, Charlie, Ch you know, uh, Charlie and the, the the Chocolate Factory, right? Willy Wonka with one. the golden ticket. You, you don't just buy the golden ticket. You have to buy a whole bunch of other chocolate goodies, and then you might get that 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 golden ticket. In this case, a golden ticket being. Uh, you know, provocative tweet from Donald Trump, but none of none of what but he you're says. Cool with the provocative. Oh, I, I love it. I, I think they're great. One of the provoc so-called provocative tweets was when uh, Trump said that he is uh, shocked and dismayed, or whatever the phrase was, about his being spied upon. The wiretapping. The wiretapping, yeah. and everyone said, "Oh boy, he sure has gone off the rails there. What a what a nutcase. What a paranoid schizophrenic, or whatever they they, they called him." Turns out he was right, but yeah, it turns know, out uh, that was one of the, the so-called tweets uh, that that they were so bothered uh, about, right? Right, and turns out uh, this very week they seem to be having a real problem with the release of a potential memo. Yeah, that uh, kind of proves all that. Hmm, yeah. funny, funny. Yeah, it's. Well, we, we can get to that another time, but we're talking about standards and how... Uh, yeah, but, but my point about it is, 
I've always thought that there are the, there are forces within our side or generally allied with our side that always almost act like Democrats and, and criticize Trump for uh, aesthetics when actually the aesthetics are helpful to both Trump and everyone else. Yeah, that's right. In fact, without those aesthetics, Trump is not Trump. Yeah. And it drives me crazy, you know, when, when anyone criticizes those things. Because, I mean... Trump is the first politician in God knows how long who's demonstrating uh, the truth of politics is like every other area of life. If you're boring and you have no personality, no one has a reason to want to be around you or watch you on TV. Yeah, that's right. And and that's the right. State of the Union this past week, what an riveting hour and 20 minutes of television for a boring-ass political speech. Yes, you know what? I, I was not... Um, I, I was hopeful. Of course, I was hopeful. I wanted him to, who, who doesn't want to see something interesting, right? But the chances that it would be riveting, to use your phrase, was very slight because, after all, it is a State of the Union address. It happens every year, and it's usually like, hey, I'm great, and, uh, you know, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, and America's great. We're going to work together. The country's wonderful. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, wizza, wizza, wizza. But this speech was indeed riveting. And I, it was the first time I was thinking to myself in many, many years, thinking, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I lo- and I love his imagery. I love the, the, his bold plans for the future. You felt like we were going somewhere. I loved his voice. His voice is fantastic, yeah, by the, the way. Yeah, and the stories he tells, the buildup, because it, it's classic storytelling, beginning, middle, end, buildup, yeah. climax, and the way all of those stories crescendo. That's right. And so it was very interesting, but I don't want to dovetail too much on the State of, State of the Union, but I do want to talk about how it was a grown-up's State of the Union address. And how um, the Democrats responded like children. Right. Again. The reason I brought it up is because I think it leads very well to what you're talking about, standards. That speech had standards. That's where I'm going. So there, there were so many times. And by the way, he set up beautiful chess moves where he, he knew that these people would uh, protest in the most vigorous way possible. More so than just any uh, time that there's an opposing party that, that has to listen to the, the, the president of the opposing party uh, speak. So you see the Republicans, of course, are standing up and clapping uh, virtually every single moment, which is what you would expect. No problem there. But when it comes to the Democrats, they, they were forced to not clap at, at points where it was so clearly something you should clap for, such as the 12-year-old boy who puts little flags on veterans' graves, right? And he made that a national, yes. national passion. <laughs> You know, what's not to like about that, whether you're Democrat or Republican, right? And these people are sitting on their hands. They're doing nothing. They're looking glum. That's embarrassing for them. They just forgot that they, they could be played. If you, if you signal we are going to sit down, we're not going to clap with anything, we are going to resist, you know, hashtag resist everything that you say, well, then, okay, you can be played. And that's exactly what Donald Trump did. And he set out great stories, which anybody would say, you need to support this, right? Yeah, he looks now, right at the Congressional Black Caucus. We're all there with their Afrikaner colors or whatever. Looks right at them and says, and black unemployment is as low as it's been since whenever. Right. And they don't applaud? <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So it's, uh, I, I, I mean, but, but again, there's the standards. They look childish in the process. So... And, and everything that their platform is, is childish, right? Well, we just want to, and they're more revealing than ever. Like the, like the tantruming child, which uh, looks out and says, you know, I just want to get my things by screaming, right? This is what the Democratic Party has become. They don't have a platform. Uh, the, the, only, the only thing that they have been doing is getting rid of the, the, the standards that were previously in the platform, such as Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. Uh, such as taking God out of uh, uh, out of the invocation uh, in um, under God and all that stuff, right? So you remember that from the 2012 Democratic National Committee, which so surprised Villaraigosa himself, a Democrat. So uh, they're just eviscerating their own standards, and the only thing that they seem to be doing is how can we get more people to vote for us, right? And they'll do it by hook or by crook. And in this instance, by crook, because you know you're you're inviting uh, you know illegal aliens to come in, promising these people who are not even in this country all sorts of goodies, if only they come in and they vote for the Democrats, right? It's not they they can't fool the the, the American 
citizenry anymore about that, right? You would think there are enough Americans where they could dangle a free iPhone and free health care and all those wonderful things that they always dangle, that that would be enough. But no, it's not. And, and they need, they have to suck on the teat of illegal immigration in order to get, uh, to, to get uh, the, vote, the votes. I mean, but they're ultimately just like, think of it like getting high, right? They're, they're addicted to this illegal immigration. They rely entirely upon this at this point. And that's why it becomes such a big part of their platform. In fact, right, the, the recent uh, almost, uh, the recent shutdown of the American government was the pro which is I think lasted only three days, but nevertheless, that was based upon the the um, what's the, the linchpin of DACA, right? Which is the illegal immigration issue. <laughs> so they thought that somehow America was so on board with allowing more illegal immigrants on that they were willing to sacrifice the government uh, operations altogether. Fascinating stuff. But they wanted to to utterly eviscerate that standard. The standard being America on the one hand and other countries on the other. But they just let's let's all blur it together. That's that's what's fascinating to me, and that's an issue that they just can't deal with. Now, interesting, and this kind of moves on to the next topic, but very very closely tied. You talked before about how the Black Caucus uh, of Congress did not stand up when Donald Trump looked them straight in the eye and said, uh, "Black unemployment now is the lowest it's been in 45 years." Okay, I mean dramatically so, by the way. I think the national average is 4.1, which is fantastic. And black unemployment, which is higher, is still, I think it's 6.2 or something, uh, which is dramatically low, uh, relatively speaking, for you know, black employment historically. The best in 45 years. That is pretty friggin' awesome. Okay, so what does the Democrat say in response to this? He says, uh, well, black unemployment was improving for the eight years, and now, because you know your your guy Trump is in there, now you are taking credit for it. So, and this one guy on Facebook uh, tried to do a big, uh, big long list, and it always ended with, and Barack Obama was president at the time, and Barack Obama was president at the time. So that that included um, that wages were rising, that the economy was expanding, that black, black unemployment was improving, what have you, right? So. And I wrote back to him and I said, those things are all, that sounds nice, nice what you said, but it doesn't explain why it suddenly shot up so dramatically the day after the inauguration of Donald J. Trump uh, and that the unemployment rate for blacks improves so dramatically during this year, okay? Whatever marginal benefit, which, by the way, you don't have proof of, uh, there might have been, that is, that is meaningless, especially since he had eight years to do so. But I said... You need to show how his policies, Obama's policies, led to those good things that you're talking about. Or was it in spite of those, those, the Obama policies? Remember, whatever policy was, was, sorry, whatever economy there was, it was a very tepid growth. It was, it was the first time in American history for, for so long that we had uh, eight solid years with no, nothing greater than 3% uh, economic growth. That's pathetic. That's bad. Okay, so the fact that you can say there wasn't a recession at the time, I suppose you can say that, and you were coming out of a recession, sure, bravo to you, <laughs> but that's not, uh, not, that's not really very impressive. Okay, that's like saying, you know, your, your child was able to dribble the, the, the basketball down the court, but he's never made a shot in the entire time. So uh, that, that, that's your problem. So you need to show cause and effect. I can show you cause and effect with Donald J. Trump, but you can't show me cause and effect when it comes to Obama. So merely presiding over a, uh, what you consider to be improvements in the economy or improvements in the unemployment rate and so forth does not mean uh, that there's a causation. Got it? Okay. So this is, this is where we are with it. It's a correlation and causation issue. We've talked about this before in, on this podcast many years ago. But you're going to see this, Ari, many, many times in the future where people will make this causation-correlation connection. They'll say that, I don't know, but Bill Clinton was president uh, during the 90s, and the 90s sure were booming. Never, never mind you know, wh why that was happening, why the economy was booming. It wasn't because he was president. It was merely because he rode on the coattails of the economy and then declared victory for whatever successes there were. He would always get in front of the parade that, uh, that materialized, not because of him. 
Obama did, tried to do the same thing now. He is proclaiming that the great economy that we're now facing are all because of the Obama policies. Okay, please explain, sir. Okay, I, I want to see that causation. Just take me from point A to point B, because if you're making this dramatic statement, surely you have evidentiary backup, right? I mean, just, just go ahead. We're, we're waiting. Go. <laughs> right? So uh, you, you, you've got to hear that from a, a lot of your Democrat friends. So Democrats who are listening to this podcast, please write in and tell me, and I know you will. You're, you're going to tell me. We'll read it back. Don't worry. Uh, tell me the, the, the point A, how we get it from point A to point B, point B being a very good economy that we have right now, and how you get there explaining that Obama's policies did this. Because I can tell you one thing. It makes no sense that uh, a, a policy where you increase regulation, where you choke uh, you know, water at the spigot by bending the, the garden hose, as it were, uh, does not let the water out. Yeah, the okay? only... What's the... O- what's the how, how, do you, how do you fashion that? Right. The only way I can kind of thread this needle for them is if I say, well, you see, what Barack Obama did in eight years is he put all these regulations in place that he knew the second they were relaxed, uh, unemployment uh, employment would skyrocket. The right. labor participation rate would skyrocket. So, see, it is Obama's policies. He put on this thing that would enable whatever... Uh, president followed him to responsibly help the economy, and he'd have a legacy. I see. So, in other words, just in uh, other words, the most convoluted piece of BS excuse ever. Of course, right? Right. <laughs> he, would, he would rely on undoing the the uh, right the, 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 the horrible policies. He put the air brake on so that someone could undo it. <laughs> I see. Right. Isn't that a little bit like saying, you know, I'm I'm hammering I'm hammering this guy's head with a hammer, right? And he's getting massive concussions. And then finally, another person grabs him by the, by the hand and stops him from continuing the hammering. And then the, the guy who was originally hammering is saying, you see, I stopped the pain. That's right. <laughs> right? <laughs> but that, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine and I, we got together on this, and we were discussing this very bizarre notion that Obama was trying to project. And you know, you know how they laugh about trickle-down economics, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's a false metaphor, but nevertheless, that's what the Democrats say about the Republican ideas, that let the rich do a lot of great things, and it'll trickle down to the benefit of the middle class and the poor, right? Um, so, but they call it trickle-down economics. So, so what, is, what is Obama's economics then? Well, I'll tell you, and I said this on my Sunday show, where he's, he, he, he dampens the economy so much, he, he stomps in it, puts so much pressure on it that at some point you release it and then it just explodes, right? Like a jack-in-the-box. Right. The jack <laughs> so we call it jack-in-the-box economics. <laughs> yeah. That's what his, his policy is, jack-in-the-box economics. And I love that. I mean, a friend of mine and I worked on that one. I, I really enjoyed it. But that's the only way to explain it. But you never know when it's going to explode. But sure enough, uh, it, but it, it was so easy for Trump to simply undo what Obama did. And that point A to point B is very easy, right? You, they, 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 um, they undid, what is it, 22 regulations for every new regulation that came in. Fantastic. What a great policy, right? And then completely uh, reanimated the whole way of, of approaching ISIS, which uh, you and I know that Obama had no intention of stopping ISIS. Well, especially considering he was arming them. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Oh, yeah. No, he, yeah. he was arming them. Yeah. It's very strange. And there's no way you can tell me you're fighting ISIS. Right. That, and, that, and, that doesn't have an air force. That doesn't have even have night vision. Right? I mean, we have the, the best army in the world, and we can't, you know, contain these, these monsters. I mean, they may seem like it'll be about a year before we can take over Mosul again. Right? And And... And, and then Trump comes in and within six months completely routes them, destroys them. They're, yeah. they're basically on the run and yeah. into their little holes. And it really shows you to beat any enemy, two things. First, call them by their name. Right. Kind of like that move, that gay movie, right? right? Call me by your name. Call them ISIS, not ISIL. Right. ISIS. Second of all, bomb the crap out of them. Right. <laughs> and keep... And then repeat. But it, was, but it was even easier than that because all you need to do is just from a military strategy point of view, you know where they are, right? So it's yeah. not as if they're – Yeah, cut off all access. Just cut off all access. <laughs> Let uh, them starve you know, in the desert. Do, do a circle and, and slowly come on in. Yeah. And then just wipe them out that way. It was, it's just too easy. 
And that's exactly what Trump and his military uh, did. Uh, and it's and, and for, for Obama to say all the things that he does, he might as well say the same thing, by the way, about defeating ISIS. It's my policies that led to the defeat of ISIS. Right. I set it up so that you, Donald Trump, the next president, could you know, finish this up. And now you're taking credit for it. Yeah. You're just mopping up what I had already Yeah, uh, and they achieved. say the same thing about every enemy. You know, I, it's funny. Um, uh, sometimes I watch uh, PBS shows. But, you know, I, I find MSNBC and CNN so nauseating that when I get the other side, I slip over to PBS because it, at least it tries to look intelligent. So I was <laughs> watching an episode of Frontline. Remember that show? Of course. About um, North Korea and Kim Jong-un. And believe it or not, they spent the first 45 minutes telling us how horrible North Korea is. Right. I was pretty impressed. But the last 15 minutes of the show, I'm estimating or so, probably 12 minutes, they then talked about, well, what should the U.S. do? And they started showing pictures of Trump and tape of him saying, fire and fury, fire and fury. Fire. And then the, these experts they interviewed for this you know, public television show that you and I paid for started talking about how unhelpful and erratic those words are. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And then they start talking about how there are no good options and how complicated this all is. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. You've set up for the first 45 minutes how horrible this dictatorship is and the Politburo and the individuals and the families running it. Isn't the very simple solution just take those people out? <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. <laughs> isn't, well, but isn't that solve like 80% of the problem right there? <laughs> it's, it's dealing with the difference between and the standards between good and evil, mm -hmm. right? So, and then that's how we wrap it up because uh, at the end of the day, you can view uh, the, these, these, this past year as the difference between Trump on the one hand and Obama on the other. You can view it as uh, the difference between Republicans and Democrats, or liberals and conservatives, if you want. But you could also more, I think, accurately describe it as the difference in what we're seeing, the difference between uh, a, an administration with standards and expectations, and an administration that held no standards and ultimately no expectations. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week.